welcome to another episode of Flail Forward, the podcast about game design and amateurism. Uh, I am your host for the evening, Fred, and I have with me tonight Mr. Karasnaur. Hello. And Catrice. Hello. And Cavoir. Yeah. <laughs> and Mark. Hello. All right. Um, got a slightly smaller group tonight because, well, you know, sometimes life happens. Um, anyway, tonight we are going to talk about something uh, that's very near and dear to my heart, which is plum bob, plum blo- plum bobs and relic. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> um, okay, so this is going to be a heavily edited episode. I can see already. <laughs> like we would edit that out. Yeah, no. no, that's just the rest of it's going to be edited, saying. but that one just, we're gonna leave that in. <laughs> the entire episode is just gonna be nothing but Fred attempting to say plum bobs and relics. My god. Uh yeah, I'm releasing that. Like <laughs> <laughs> listeners, you're not gonna be hearing this. It's just gonna be me going blah, blah, blah for like an hour and a half. Um but no, we're talking about plum bobs and relics. So can someone here tell me what the fuck I mean by plum bobs and relics? Because you guys know, but our listeners might not. Yeah, unfortunately, the one person who had that had those definitions is one of the missing people. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, I can so, I can try and explain. Oh, Mark. Yeah. So um, by plum bob, I'm assuming you mean um, sort of the object on the table that um, interacts with you or that you interact with when playing the game. Mm -hmm. Something sort of like the dice that you roll or the Jenga tower that is at the center of the table. Um, And then on the other hand, you have relics, which are sort of like the written down permanent pieces of the game, like your character sheets or your campaign diary that would allow you to remember all of the important aspects of the game the actual gameplay is done is that fair yes yes i think that's correct yep um oh and just to be fair to another podcast i stole plum bobs from design doc I, just because I like okay, the word. So, basically, fidget toys and doodles. <laughs> um, sort of. It's more like, like to use common examples. It's like dice are plum bobs, dice are cards, um, and then like a character sheet is a rep because you've got all this, you know, stuff written on there. Um, That's stated fidget toys because, like, if I have dice, I'm going to be stacking them on top of each other and adjusting them so that the little dots on them make pictures and stuff. I mean, not to get not to destroy the topic already, uh, and we'll probably get into this more later. But there, I can think of two games, one of which isn't released yet, where cards are both a plum bog and a relic. But that's (laughs) what. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, what? What That's kind of crazy. game would that be? Yeah, I wonder yeah. who would make that a game that weird. Fuck. <laughs> um, well, actually... technically, that that phenomenon has existed before. Dragonstorm yeah. was a card-based RPG where the cards were both plumb bobs and relics. No, that wasn't the other example I was thinking of. Neat. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was <clears throat> the one I was thinking was Viking Funeral. Um, oh, the one I was thinking of was Royal Blood. But <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so it might have been done a couple times before, but still, it's a cool idea. Um, yeah. So I'm going to throw Mark under the bus real quick. <laughs> um, so Mark, uh, when we were discussing this earlier, you said that we because we've had this discussion before, um, like non-recorded. And um, well, I mean, I wasn't here, so yeah, Kevin wasn't here, so it was not nearly as good. Um, uh, I'm not anyway. sure if I go that far. I mean, I would trade Rob <laughs> myself for Rob any time. Kevin, just you don't have to be mean to yourself, it's fine. Uh, yeah, if you want to call that being mean to myself, sure. 
yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, Mark, we had a discussion before, and you were saying earlier that um, you had kind of learned a few things from our discussion and had implemented those into your game. Um, and in fact, the game we were talking, we were referencing, Smiley referencing earlier is your game. You want to yes. talk about that for a second? Kind of uh, talk about what led you to uh, make that design choice with your cards yeah. and kind of what that design choice is? Sure. Um, so originally I hadn't even considered uh, how these sort of artifacts of the game, either plumbogs or relics, influence your gameplay experience. Um, but having talked about it a bit more, um, there were a few aspects of having uh, relics that are present and important in the design of your game as a reminder of what your gameplay experience was like. Like, I think we all have experiences when we've played RPGs where uh, you sort of go to the parking lot afterwards and you reminisce about the stuff that just happened or you share your, um, I don't know, camera angle on the action and you talk about the epic moment that you just had. Um, and relics act as a sort of way of trying to remember some of those important moments or defining features of your character, like just having, I don't know, certain things written down in your character sheet and then coming down to play an old character you haven't in a while and you see that there are certain things that you wrote down for yourself and you're like, oh yeah, I remember how I got this item or I remember how, uh, um, I don't know, I enchanted my uh, dragon scale shield with, uh, uh, I don't know, magic missile repelling uh, counter magic or something like this. And um, just having that changes the way that you interact with the game and, I don't know, gives you a bit of that... Um, I don't know, uh, you reminisce, I guess, about it. Like you're able to recall it um, and sort of relive the pleasure you had with the game before. So uh, I wanted to make sure that I could do that with Praxis, where it's very much a game that the decisions that you make within your character, within the play, um, have a huge impact on how your character develops and who they become. Um, so being able to have this as sort of a, a legacy item that you can then revisit later on and say these were the decisions that my character made these were the things that were important to them at one point or currently are important to them um, and this is how my character has finished or left off so that now i can pick it up and play again um, that felt like it was very important to the concept of developing your character over the course of playing the game so a lot more of that fed into how do I design the central mechanics? How do I make sure that when I'm physically sitting at the table, I'm able to use all of these aspects of what my character's history was and what that means for them today. And then even on the, the plum bobs aspect, um, I wanted the game to feel very immersive and choosing the right kinds of um, tactile items to be able to determine success, failure, advancement of the plot. I wanted it to be like a, I don't know, one and done sort of thing where you roll the dice and can interpret the dice uh, immediately. Um, and that's how I originally started to design this game was with a custom set of dice because I wanted it to be intuitive from just the way the dice were being rolled but I found that I could incorporate both the Relic and Plumbob together in a deck of cards, where now you write on the physical cards, and the cards act as sort of a, a randomizer or um, a measure of your character's skill in overcoming the obstacle. That's how I was able to incorporate both ideas into the current design. Yeah, thanks for letting me rant for a good <laughs> 10 minutes. That was good, yeah. No. Not a problem. I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> we had like a silent part at the end, and it's like, applause? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that must have been a, that was a very good speech, because you even got Catrice to not want to interrupt. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. Actually, I was tempted to a few times, but I was good. <laughs> oh, that's very nice of you. That's very nice, yeah. I feel special. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god. Oh, the poor listeners. They're getting this mess. Oh, so, if yeah, they're used to it by now. If they're not, they'll be inoculated or unconscious, whichever. Are you saying more? And no, I was just gonna say, is that am I the only one who's done this, or have other people also taken a look at their design? There are our first seeing what they can change. I have to let Car speak first. Yeah, what I was gonna say is, Mark's speech there about Praxis really in- illustrates the level of design self awareness that he's exercising that all really good designers are capable of. Like that's really what separates a good designer from the rest. Well, thank you. Is uh, and it, it... knowing is knowing what you want to do and how you can achieve that both in an interesting way of in a way that's um usable and thematic and um efficient yeah and i think every design decision that you make um needs to be important but it's not always clear to see how important those decisions are when starting out so the original design of praxis is very different from what it has come but i needed to have a starting off point i guess and I stole from the games that I'm used to playing, but once I started to realize why those decisions are important, then that shaped a lot of how I've come back at it and scrapped a lot of old ideas in order to make them work better for the core concept. There's some things that it just doesn't work quite the same way when you change to a different system. Like, once you understand why something's put in a certain way, and then you look at your own, it's like, well, either I need to change mine to have the same reason for why it's in there, or it shouldn't be in there. Or I need to mm-hmm. change the aspect of how it's implemented, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Like, you can transfer, like, a lot of information between different games, even from completely different genres and stuff, but... It never translates perfectly one for one. That's true. And mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes it translates like one and a sliver to one, and sometimes it tran- translate it just doesn't translate. So now, in <laughs> terms of Mark's question, I we had had this conversation a long time ago and I'd written down like a bunch of notes for things to think about. And I've actually thought about them over the time since then. Hmm. Uh, I don't actually want to put like a lot of the physical stuff in the game, like the plump up stuff, because, well, I know I personally as I was describing earlier, I get distracted very easily. So having stuff there to distract me is not actually a good thing. So I realize that's probably going to be true for at least some of the players. So I'm a little iffy on adding like a lot of physical stuff, but there are some things I do think are pretty useful and one of the most important ones that has been shown for a lot of players is like little miniatures of their characters and such, or at least like a portrait or an icon or a picture somehow, something that they can say, this is my character. And if they can actually customize it instead of just picking from a list, that's even better. Now, I'd I'd personally love to get into, I'm trying to remember what the name of the site is that, actually there's a couple of them now, that do like little custom miniatures that people can order. Uh, I think one of them is called Hero Hero Forge. Forge. Yeah, Hero Forge is the one I was specifically thinking of. That's the big one, yeah. Yeah, 
I'd love to do a partnership with them eventually, but that's the kind of thing that you need to be fairly large to get to that point. Um, if I can find the spare time, I can do the 3D models and such myself and just, you know, do small scale stuff like get a 3D printer and make my own models. But that's going to require a lot of extra time and effort to do. So I'm not doing that anytime soon. Yeah. And if you don't choose the right 3D printer, your new hobby becomes maintaining a 3D printer instead of using it. Yeah. That's why I, I don't use mine anymore. I've known a couple of people who have had that issue. Now, one thing I actually am doing at this very moment in regards to that is I'm actually um, host, like having a special for um, the game that I'm making, say, Orsa, where people who give like a, a donation within a certain amount, like it, it doesn't really matter because, um, this episode's probably going to go up later after this has already ended. But the idea for this special is you, if you cover in enough of a one-time uh, support payment for the game, not only will I commission like artwork for your character, I'll get them actually added into the game uh, book so that I have um, actual unique characters that are in the game instead of just more generic uh oh example. so you're gonna pull a so you're gonna pull like a whole mess of skyrim grandma situations i guess i don't know about that okay the skyrim grandma is a is this elderly woman who's well into her 70s and she plays skyrim religiously she's really active on all the fan forums and um a bunch of other players started a petition which resulted in bethesda flying her to their studio and scanning her and she's going to be a character in the next elder scrolls game that's hilarious okay that's kind of cool uh it's a bit more wide scale but yeah the concept is people be able to actually see their characters literally in the game which would be kind of cool um, can't you want to tell people where your Patreon is just as long as you're talking about it? Um, sure. Right, <laughs> I take it you want to be in the game. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I think he wants to link it if you're going to mention it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. All right. I'll... It actually goes for both the uh, Patreon and the subscribe star because I actually had some people specifically say they don't want to support patreon anymore so oh okay so i have both uh, and i'm running so... the same thing on both i just apparently have not actually written it out on subscribes i should probably do that that's a good idea <laughs> i'll do that um, later anyway cat anyway, has but... a patreon and a whatever the fuck a subscribe star is um i'll, I'll put those in the, the show notes if for some reason you want to support cat on patreon or whatever I don't know. You might like her opinions on RPG things if you listen to this podcast. Possible. But yeah, that's for like things that players can see as their characters. I think that's a really important part in the game. And then it's definitely something that I'm working towards as a goal. It's just not like the miniatures and such is going to be a little bit outside of what I can do for the moment. But it's something I do want to do eventually. Um, so one of the uh I I am a, a big fan of relics. Relics was kind of one of the things I brought and wanted to discuss because I love like people's old character sheets. Um and like like people who I, I have a friend who Whenever she plays an RPG, has her character sheet and fills the entire thing with notes. Like everything the the characters learn on the front and back is just all in the margins, all these little notes. And I just I love that. So when I was when I've been working on Wanderlust, I I wanted a map 
I wanted a physical thing out in front of everybody because it's it's like the same thing Kat was talking about earlier that physical like visual reference is really helpful it kind of helps you kind of helps ground you not so much that it's a visual reference but that it's a permanent reference you can go yeah. back to it whenever you need to mm -hmm. yeah i think that's kind of a big thing because our memories are very very fallible we don't tend to view them that way but yeah having something written down is a lot more effective than just trying to remember what you did last time especially since you know role-playing games in general we have the issue of um it's usually not consistent like there's gonna be weeks where or months or whatever where you're supposed to do a session and it just doesn't happen and then you come back and it's like well first there was this holiday then somebody had a birthday so they weren't able to make it and then there was like this huge storm the next time and it's like by the time we actually get back to the table what was going on again <laughs> so so yeah even yeah. if you're doing like online games like there is that scheduling issue the whole thing about like i want a dragon for christmas it's like pick something realistic i want a consistent role-playing sessions so what color do you want your dragon to be <laughs> anyway um and i you know i wanted people to play with the map so i put um placing dice to like show how your characters are moving and i'm i'm wanting people to write all over it because i, I as i said i love those little notes in the margins and stuff um so I like that was that was kind of my the my last thing. time i revised my character sheets and told all of you guys that it, end, it ended up being 10 pages you guys all freaked out until you saw it and then you freaked out a little bit less because six of those were addendum pages and two of them were just a a campaign log yeah still that's a lot of paper yeah and to be honest i think that's the kind of thing that people should generally just do on their own like the type of notes that i make usually are not the type of notes that most people make like for example one of the big note packages i have for one of my characters the kobold is just was based off the phrase kobold is helping which became basically a catchphrase. So I started keeping track of every single thing the Kobold does, which is technically helpful in her mind. <laughs> There's maybe a third of it is actually beneficial to other people. <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually ended up writing notes for that because like, not just for myself in that game, but for like Seorsa itself, I'm actually going to be adding in like uh, the default standard fantasy uh, races and stuff in a separate book. And I already have notes set aside for like Cobalt and like helping in all caps as like one of their abilities. And it will involve keeping track of this information because it's such a stupid idea, but I've had so much fun with it. It's like, yeah, I th I think this should be a standard thing that people should enjoy doing. Well, to your um, point about people taking notes differently, that's part of the reason why I relegated the campaign log to a separate sheet, because those sheets are literally nothing but a header block saying, you know, this is for Arcane and who, who this sheet belongs to and yada, yada, yada. But other than that, it's just two columns of lines. It's completely open. Yeah. I mean, I usually just have a notebook that, I mean, I have whole notebooks filled with RPG notes, just, you know. Which is fine, but it's 
there are the players that enjoy the kitschiness of, you know, the the published resources and whatnot that are accessories for the game, and they will use them just because they're that. Yeah, suppose so. There is but that. Then... There, there is also something to be said for giving the prompt to write things down at all. Like, mm -hmm. if you give somebody a notebook and say, keep notes, they're far more likely to actually keep notes than if you don't mention mm -hmm. it. If you actually just say, like, these are my campaign notes at the top of the page, and then it's just, like, right there for them, then they're probably just going to use it because it's there. Exactly. So, um, do you guys know about the Sailor Moon RPG? Which one? Journals. Um, I'm vaguely aware of it. The one with the journal. I'm not, but I'm sure there's a lot of them. I'm as far as I know, there's only like one actually licensed one. Like this is a, oh, licensed. a actual licensed one. Um, and it came with little journals that were like, um, I I haven't actually like see I have seen one in the real life, but I've heard about them and like seen a photo. And they're kind of they're different colored and slightly different setup depending on the like what kind of you know what archetype or class or whatever you're playing um and then you know they're they're exactly that they're here's a little like high schoolers diary kind of setup write down all your stuff you know make a little have a little journal i, I could see that yeah, that'd be pretty cool i kind of like that and they made those because they realized their market would buy them uh <laughs> Yeah, probably. Well, that was the theory anyway. I'm not sure how successful it actually was. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound like it was that big. So, but I don't know. Anyway, that's certainly a a, a good plumb bob or like a good you're a good um not plumb bob, a good prompt for a relic. Like I I think mm -hmm. that that's kind of what you're talking about, car is like you're trying. You're giving people up like a prompt to make a relic. Here's something I'd like to divide up on the relics as well. Is the idea of personal and public relics then? Because there is a difference. Like a public relic that I've used in the past, and I mentioned my game for use because it's actually something I found to be really useful is the idea of at the end of a session have everybody describe in one sentence what happened everybody gets their own sentence and you basically write them all down on like a communal thing like a a page that everybody gets to add to and i found that it's extremely useful to do this as like a group uh, thing that you do because it kind of shows what each player found was really interesting about the game like the things that stood out to them that they considered were important to remember and in practice it has also ended up being something where a lot of the players end up actually complimenting other uh, players on role-playing moments that they've made which just naturally seems to occur it's like yeah somebody did this ridiculously awesome thing and people just point out that this is like they might just for their sentence of what happened this session they just literally uh repeat like their ridiculous uh war cry or something so You'd get, like, the concept oh, of, like, for pony. <laughs> oh, man, Kat, you missed, the up you missed an opportunity there to reference Suplex the Dragon again. <laughs> yeah, Suplex the Dragon would work. <laughs> <laughs> I um, mean, one of these examples, uh, uh, sentences, I subdue the turkey. That's all you need to know. It's better without context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. But, uh, to answer the question then, I, uh, 
except for the like immediate kudos slash um, instant replay aspect, I think I think that's really a matter of information management that falls more into the hands of the players and their play style and their table dynamics than can really be achieved from the designer's infinite distance away from that table. In some ways, but you can still, as the designer, suggest these kinds of prompts or relics to be created. Like, there's yes, no reason... But it's very, but it's, yes, you can suggest and try to set that example of the norm for play in of your game. But that's as far as you can go. Like, you can't... It's unenforceable from this distance. I mean, that's true of absolutely everything we do. Like, we can't even force the players to actually follow any of the rules. Yeah. So Yeah, and this is no different. So... Yeah, I, I don't consider it to be, like, a huge problem on the design side of things, because you can make the designs. Players don't have to follow your designs. All you can do is make something that's the most effective that you can come up with that will be the easiest and most fun for the greatest number of players. And mm -hmm. if they decide to do tweaks to it in the house rules and such, well, there's not a whole lot you can do unless it's your specific group that you're playing with at that table at that moment. The other thing that making these kinds of mm, soft mechanics kind of suggestions <coughs> is that they take a lot of the or they they solidify a lot of the ignored presumptions that happen around play. And if they're adhered to, end up making for a stronger table culture. They can. So, Anyone else want to join in on that? No, I'm good. <laughs> okay, so we will be editing out the awkward silence. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, just leave in like a 20 second gap there. And I'm like, going to make it longer. That's going to be like two like minutes. Like copy paste it. <laughs> yeah. Two minutes. One, and you just hear a, a slight cough, like right in the middle of it. And that's it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but anyway, all right. So, hmm. Yeah. What? Okay. So, what are some? We talked a bit about kind of the things, but what are some interesting examples of plumb bobs? Like, have you seen? You guys played any games, or you know, theorize about any games that have a, an interesting plumb yes. thing? Oh, okay. There is something that's going to be brought up, and I'll bring it up for you, Fred, so that you don't get everybody yelling at you. <laughs> oh, oh so we get to yell at you. Yeah, you know what's coming, it, don't you? Yes. The sticky hand. Oh, no, I wasn't expecting that, because that's you... been banned. <laughs> I, was, I, was expecting, I was expecting the uh, the Jenga RPG. I was expecting the dildo, but... Okay. Oh, that's what the sticky hand goes with? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, uh, anyway, we won't talk about that anymore, but yes. Uh, that a, a dildo RPG I'll, does exist. I'll say as stupid as that was, it it is definitely something that involves a mechanic that is interesting. I will it's, give it that. It's very novel. Yeah. Okay. Well, the Jenkin um, Tower one is also on. very novel and interesting. We might yeah. as well talk about that Dread one. Is, Dread is pretty cool. Druid exploits its mechanics to great to 
We've probably talked about it before. Dread exploits its game mechanism so that the mechanics will fight the tension it's trying to create. And it, yeah. I was also going to talk about, go back to World Blood for, briefly, if we're, since I might as well say, because it's, it's not quite like the other ones that were mentioned. Uh, it basically is a game where you start with a tarot spread. And that is both and like it uses tarot cards as all for its mechanics, but uh basically uses tarot uh the oh god, high arcana, I think is the correct term. Why can I can't I remember? Uh to the, like the greater arcana. Yeah, it uses greater arcana to represent like major threats and it uses like uh the nobles, uh like the high the trump cards of the lesser arcana to represent player characters and then it uses the rest of the cards as you know the actual <laughs> the actual things you use for for us to determine success and failure yeah the things with that and uh, uh the actual the exact setup is uh one of the higher one of the greater arcana is chosen to be the mark in this case and then they're like they're the main villain and you're trying and then there's five like the five other great arcana are dealt out to be like various things that you have to you challenge and exploit to get to the villain it's it's interesting um What's uh, the name of this game royal blood oh okay okay you mentioned that earlier yeah yeah um, yeah, I just wanted to mention it briefly because <laughs> it's the game that actually, like, because it's so invested in its tarot metaphor, it's a game that is 100% valid for using tarot cards. <laughs> like, it wouldn't be the same game if it didn't. So I'll let them, I'll graduate them because normally I think it's kind of silly. <laughs> you have to justify using cards for me. Because they make the RNG so much more complicated. And not that that's a huge deal or actually meaningful, but it does have an effect on player psychology. And it sometimes makes it harder to instantly redraw what they mean and things like that. Anyway, uh, that's my piece. Okay. Go, um, I, th I think I'd like to mention two kinds of plumb bobs. One of which that has come into fashion, and the other of which has gone out of fashion. All right. Um, first being the dice tower, and the other being the GM screen. Mm -hmm. I mean, neither of these are are specific to any one game, but they have had their effects on how gameplay happens. Yeah. I mean, no. definitely the GM screen has a, has a you know, psychological effect to a certain extent, I suppose, as well as just kind of changes how GMs act a bit. I... I really think the GM screen is a is an expression of gameism and specifically that aspect of gameism that is about controlling information. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the typical GM screen has rules reference on one side and then some artwork on the other side that that faces the players. Yeah, it kind of and... is a barrier in between the two. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of the point, but yeah. And then I'm sorry, not sorry, but I just every time I see a dice tower, I'm like that adds nothing to the game, and the only reason I could possibly think of for you wanting to do this, other than it looking cool, is that you don't trust your, your fellow players to roll their own dice. 
Yeah, I don't really understand those either. I had to actually look up what one was, so that's probably <laughs> something about me. <laughs> to be fair, I've actually had a player I don't trust to roll their own dice. I've had a GM that we didn't trust to roll their own dice, so... You gotta let yeah. people roll their own dice, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. this was an egregious example, though. Mm-hmm. That was the player that they'd roll, and then it'd be like, uh... 19. It's like, yeah, no. Well, <laughs> well, the GM I'm talking about, we were playing um, champions, and he was the GM, and we played in his apartment, and we were all in the living room, and all his GM shit was on the kitchen table, so we couldn't see his dice anyway. You, yeah, that's so. Creepy. No, once or twice a night, at least, he would throw dice, and his hands would go up in the air, and he would yell three, regardless of what the dice actually said, and we caught him a few times. Yeah, that kind of feeds the purpose of having dice if you completely override them, but that is a larger discussion. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, fudging is a different thing. Yeah, like when you get into routine fudging of the dice where you are you are dictating what the results are and ignoring the die roll, then you've missed the point. And maybe the point is you should not have been using dice for that because you're not he- using them. There, there, there were times when it definitely felt like Don shouldn't have been playing an RPG. He should have just been writing his own comics <laughs> and leaving us out of it. Yeah, that is kind of bad. But okay, to, to, <laughs> to get back onto the plum pot mm-hmm. thing, um, I actually know somebody who is setting up a game that they're planning to run through Discord, but part of the way they're going to do this is they're creating individual playing cards that look sort of like what you'd expect, like a a collectible card game like Magic the Gathering or something to look like, and you get a hand of cards that you choose to be in your hand, and when you're in combat, you get to pick like which ability you play, and when you play it, you basically use that ability. Um, The card is played and it's out of your hand. You don't get to use it again kind of thing, right? So Mm -hmm. that's an actual mechanic where you're physically interacting with the abilities that you are using and actually physically removing them out of your possession when you use them. So I I think that's a rather strong example of it. Is he doing that just as like, like, how is he doing that? Like, the only way I could think of to do that is to have the card management done by a bot. I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head yet. It's still fairly early on in development, but I've no doubt they'll find a way to get it to work. But it might end up just be something as simple as here's a list of the cards that you put out at the start of uh, combat to say what you have, and then you just use them and drop the numbers down or whatever. I don't know yet, but I do know that you could totally do this in like an actual face-to-face tabletop game pretty easily as well. Well, uh, I can think of two face-to-face tabletop games that kind of do that. Although they don't have fightful trading cards. Uh, One would be Gamma Rolled, I think it's 7th edition. In the other one, I'm going to have to look up the name of. (laughs) Dragonstorm, among its other uses of cards, did that as well. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking of doing something similar. Like, I'm very... I'm not sure at the moment, but I'm very much so considering the idea of making actual cards for various abilities in the game, but I'm not sure if I'm actually going to go that route. Oh, the other game's name is Lost End, by the way. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Gamar. But yeah, it'd be an interesting thing to have, but it's like, 
this is a lot of extra artwork. It's a lot of extra work to create them and it's expensive. But it would be really yeah. nice to have. That, like, given the scope and focus of your game and pretty much most RPGs, that's more of an accessory than a core yeah. piece. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that I think would be nice to have as like an expansion thing to like sell on the side that people can buy like a deck of these different ability cards that they could use. But it's, I don't know, it's not something that I think should be in the base game, but it's definitely something I'm considering for the future. I remember back in the day when Birthright came out. Um, <clears throat> Birthright was a 2E D&D setting that was... It didn't have a core campaign book, but every like module-sized book detailed a region of the continent. And hmm. one of the other accessories they put out for it was this... Uh, this die-cut little chest that you filled with a stack of cards, but I can't remember for the life of me right now what was on the cards. <laughs> Monopoly money. <laughs> no, it was more like items and stat-blocky kinds of things. Oh, that actually reminds me. There was a... There was actually a... One game that I'd been watching a group of people play online, and one of the things that they had was literally just a hat filled with little sheets of paper, and basically there was like um, little uh, items and stuff like that written on them. So if somebody did something in the game, like they would have earned a reward from killing a monster, or they did good role-playing or they pleased like a dragon or something they get given a gift basically they just reach into the hat and they get like a sheet of paper with their reward on it personally i don't like the idea it's a little too random because it means oh hey i managed to get a reward that's completely useless to me and everybody in the party well that sucks <laughs> but the idea that you actually get to physically interact with an object and be like, you didn't just get an item, you actually got a physical item in your hand. Hmm. Even if it's just a sheet of paper, that that, is, that was kind of a neat concept. I, I think they could have done more with it, but it's potentially very interesting. Um, Whoop. this has got me thinking of kind of a different topic. Um, um which wait, is, I had <clears throat> something to talk about regarding if, cards. Um, can I do that real quick before you go for that? If you're going to go off for a different topic. Okay. Um, but so anyway, just uh, quickly, I wanted to, cause like cards are, they're cool. I love a good deck of playing cards there. They're very versatile, and they also the thing I wanted to like quickly discuss um, is that they have a lot of baggage. Um, they have a lot of like stuff associated with them. Uh, and I was like a while ago, I was thinking about a game where uh, you're and it's a westernish setting, and you're playing blackjack basically, or a modified blackjack to um, resolve uh, to do your resolution. And um, so anyway. So like use... original Deadlands. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like original Deadlands. Um, I think. Not super familiar with that, but uh, yes. Take your word for it. Um, and so I just, you know, you, you can use cards and other plumb bobs and bits in various different ways that'll change how players interact with them. Um, so anyway, go for a car. too. I have thought of something awesome. I need you to to go quickly so I can so I can go after. Because <laughs> I came up with okay, a brilliant well, idea. Just, 
Discord is shitting itself again, so I can only hear about one of every fourth word you guys are saying. So well, my, well, we my other yours. topic was... Yeah, well, apparently Discord only shits itself in one direction. Um, <clears throat> so my kind of tangential topic was, for those of us here, if, and this kind of follows from what Kat was thinking about, if you could have any plumbobs for your game, either as part of the core necessity set or as accessories, what would they be? Oh, as funny. And, oh, sorry. So I guess I'll start. Um, like, I've kind of not designed my game to need a bunch of accessories. So like, really, you only need 2D10s in your character sheet. But... I think the only the only opportunity to have some kind of plumb bob would be um, tokens for shank points. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that would be that would probably be a nice little thing. Yeah, you know, have something like poker chips or something nice, clinky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It, it's funny, actually. I was I was thinking about this just as we were doing it, and I would I was thinking for my game because it was maps. I would love to do like a like a road atlas, basically, like a little um, book, you know, a, a kind of reproduction road atlas with some maps of the U.S., but with a bit of bit of messing about and um, and some stylizing to make it look nice. That'd be cool. Go along well. Yeah, that would be cool. But I was thinking about it, and that sounds really expensive um, based on well, my... How, how much do you find you want your game to just, like, work with existing maps? Or do you kind of want to take a Ryutama-esque approach where you're actually, like, carving out path by yourself? Um, It was very much based on... Um, mostly using established maps, okay. At least as a, as a general reference point, um, like when I yeah, when I'm thinking about cool. this, I'm thinking about like maps that are far out and are you yeah. know just road maps or something. Um, but um, yeah, well, so mostly to work with the... established regular maps. Aren't the maps in your game kind of? consumable in a way because they get written on so mm. i think you'd have a challenge with that in yeah producing an atlas at a low enough price point that people would see the value in having multiple of them exactly yeah i mean i guess that's that's something that you you buy um and you know use for a long campaign or something and then you have this big record of the campaign um because i don't think there's any way um, at least me, like as a as a starting person, could produce that um, so that I could sell it at a reasonable price. When people be like, "Oh, I can pay a few bucks for, you know, an, a couple of these." But on the other hand, it does give you an opportunity to have a continuous product line, where you can dump out a new atlas every couple of months. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Although I don't know if I'm necessarily interested in that, but uh, yeah, that would be a uh, be a possibility. Um, I just I just like the idea of having like that that you know something spread out on the table that's nice and pretty and just I love those things. To spring off of that, I kind of like to build something that's basically a. A modeling program so like you know the idea of like in an mmorpg where you get like a character creator or something like that something like that kind of a concept except it's for like monsters and stuff so like i don't really have my game built in such a way that you're supposed to have a bestiary that's already provided for you like i'll give a few examples but the idea is to set it up in such a way that 
GM can create their own enemies for you to fight on a pretty easy basis. But it'd be kind of nice if you could use like a program, just basically come up with a really uh, basic way of creating like a giant monster that, you know, takes up like half the field or something like that, because like giant monsters are actually kind of a big part of the game. So it's not like there's a lot of miniatures of them around and be able to set them up so that you would just be able to use like a 3D printer or something and just print them off yourself really easily. I cool. would like to have that kind of concept where you can build an arena and these much larger than normal miniatures where it's like you take like normal minis and there'd be like platforms built into like the arms or along its back so you can basically set up your characters sort of Shadow of the Colossus style on them. Because hmm. There's nothing like that as far as I'm aware on the market, and it's kind of how I picture combat in the game going. Like, you're supposed to be fighting, like, really giant things on a fairly regular basis, so it would be really neat if you could actually see that. And then when you're done, it's like, okay, well, you have a copy of this for the future, so you can just set it on your shelf or something, and it becomes like a talking piece. Somebody comes into your like house or something they see like all these neat like monsters that you basically designed sitting on your shelf and they could just ask you about it and you can actually go into like a big description of the epic battle that you fought against it kind of thing that would be really neat if uh 3d printers became way more common i, I think 3d printers are common enough based on how many RPG related posts are on the 3D printing subreddit. But <clears throat> I think the technology, the front end of the necessary for the for the technology of doing that is a couple of years away. The back end is already there. Like all you really need to do is set up a web front end to to a blender render farm that is just not even rendering, but it's pushing vertexes around mm. and spitting out STL files. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that like the technology to set it up is there. It's more the technology to actually do so quickly and easily for a normal person at low cost. But I, I think it's definitely something that we might actually see within the next decade. And it would be really cool to have that kind of thing, but it's just not there yet. Okay. I guess Mark can go next, because <laughs> I'm not sure what I would want to Yeah. I think um, Mark has an obvious answer. Let's see if he goes with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think a battle mat no um i uh <laughs> a dildo yeah <laughs> it's a massive dildo um well you need it large enough to map the battle mat onto it <laughs> exactly um no i think like it's pretty obvious for my game that just having uh like a deck of cards or multiple decks of cards even if they're stylized would change a lot um having even like inclusion of sleeves so that they're reusable um, it's a pretty lightweight game in itself so it doesn't need a lot of pieces but the pieces it does have are important so it would be that yeah like cards maybe cards that are specially designed to be easier to write on uh, exactly. and a mat like the the most that i've gone into with designing is even the the boxes themselves the card boxes that you would use because um, I think that that would be interesting. However, you're holding your um, your deck of cards, you could personalize that so that your your deck box was something that was meaningful to you. That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah most. So Mark Mark just wants nice cards. All right. Pretty much understandable. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that's nice cars and good places to put them. Yeah, nice cars and good places to put them. Uh, um, Cavoir, do you have? Uh, no, uh, I mean, <laughs> no, like I don't know if you, most of the games I'm designing is own several D6s, okay, and you have character sheets, probably. Okay, good. You don't even need to own D6s if you're running it online. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't really, uh, as a personal thing, I don't really go that part that deep into t- touchies and, like, in feelings in general. <laughs> like, oh. I am the person who looked at World of Darkness and said, why would I ever want to roll six dice at once? That's a... <laughs> not... Isn't it cool that I get to roll six dice if I'm really good at something? And that... And we'll just say, since Rob's not here, he's the guy who's like, I just wanted to roll 40 dice at once. Not for any reason, I just wanted to roll 40 dice. Yeah. To see if I could actually physically hold them in both hands <laughs> was, was his argument. <laughs> yes, which is valid. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think the rules for ashes ever require you to roll forty dice at once. No, I'm pretty sure they don't. I think the highest is like two or three. Yeah, something like that. Um, maybe four. It, yeah, it's not a lot. Like it, no. it's only a couple and. Once you roll, that's basically all of your rolling for the turn done all at once. Yep. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, Rob would want, like, what do you want in this game? I don't know. A big dildo, I guess. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Okay. Okay, I want to cover the thing that I thought about earlier, then, if we're past the question. Sure. Um, well, I was okay. going to say, all right, yeah, go for it, Kat. Sure. Okay. So I came up with a stupid idea just a moment ago. And oh, yeah. I want, I don't think this would go good for my game, but I want to play a game that uses it, wherein there's a randomized event set up where you get like basically um, little messages that tell you uh, sort of information and such on them. But to get them, you literally put them in fortune cookies. So you get to open your fortune cookie and eat it, and then you get the information as your fortune. Oh my god. That would be very hard to set up at most tables, unfortunately. (laughs) Wouldn't be that hard. It's just annoying to make the actual fortune cookies because they're really a pain to cook. Yeah, and you can't like just get the the large bag style because you have to put your own fortunes in them <laughs> and tediously removing. You could, <laughs> yeah, like it would, be a, it would be a nuisance. You could do it; it just it would suck. It's yeah, like it would take. Would, would... Yeah, your game would require the you... players to uh, spend about four hours setting it up, <laughs> depending yeah, on how but, often they but, needed fortune but... cookies. But that's a, that's a very good argument. But here's the counter argument: Fuck is you. you need to have snacks for your players anyway. <laughs> so if you encourage them to play the game, they get more snacks. <laughs> yeah, but like, whoever wants more than maybe one fortune cookie? <laughs> Me, I I'd eat the entire bag. Oh I freaking God. love fortune cookies. Those things are so good. They're, oh, they're not. Yes, I'm they sorry, are. they're garbage. Fight me with knives. <laughs> okay. Sure. Or chainsaws or something, or fortune cookies. Then I, I can eat your not, ammo. I will not fight you with chainsaws. Chainsaws are dangerous. Chainsaws will fuck. <laughs> well, up. knives are generally dangerous in most people's hands too. <laughs> um. No, chainsaws are ten times more dangerous than knives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they that's, fuck with that's a knife. True. I don't fuck with no chainsaw. Yeah, I um, won't. I'll grant you that one. I'll, I'll just say, like, killing someone um, with a knife fairly easily. Now that we're talking about the um, differences between chainsaws and knives, I think uh, it's time for me to ask for any final thoughts that we have 
um for this this episode um, knives are piercing damage and chainsaws are rending damage in my system there you go that is my final thought on this matter okay Tar, any final thoughts if you can hear us I see him lighting up, but I'm not. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, it's a good time to stop because he's yeah. really having connection issues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. Bye. Uh, good night, listener. Um, good night. Follow us on social I hope media. This was educational. Uh, yeah. Remember your plum bobs and your relics. And your chainsaws. Yeah. Uh, yeah be okay. careful about chainsaws. Those things are dangerous. Remember, the term for the phobia of chainsaws is common sense. That is the truth. <laughs> you people are, you know, disappointments, but that's fine. <laughs>